You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. Would love to give you one. Mark chapter 8 and find verse 34. We're continuing in our series called Following Him, which is an in-depth study of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus called people and said, come and follow me, and he, he clarified a lot of things of what that actually meant. And so we're just going section by section, paragraph by paragraph, the different times where Jesus said, to be my disciple, this is what it takes. To be my disciple, this is what you need to do, or this is who you need to be. And uh, today's message is about the cross of discipleship. You see, a lot of people talk about the cost of discipleship, and we'll have a message on that a little later, but there's no point in talking about the cost of discipleship unless you understand the cross of discipleship. You see, without the cross of Jesus Christ, without him dying in the place of sinners and giving the gift of eternal life to those who place their faith in him, there's no point in counting the cost. There's no point in choosing to follow him. It all centers around the cross. And today we're going to look at the cross, not just for, not just for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, but the cross for his disciples, that we are all called to take up our cross and to follow him. Now, sometimes we read through our Bibles and we're really troubled by a passage. Sometimes we're troubled by a passage because we don't understand it. It's hard to interpret. It's just difficult to come to grasp with what the text is saying. And we're troubled by that. There's a whole other category of passage of Scripture that we're troubled by, not because we don't understand it, but because we do. Not because it's, it's unclear to us, but because it's crystal clear. There's no way to sort of duck around it. There's no way to sidestep what the passage is saying in Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 to 38 is one of those passages. Just look at verse 34 here. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. You can write that down in your notes. That's our first point, that he calls us to deny ourselves. To take up our cross and to follow him. There's no way to get around that. There's no way to come up with some sort of clever interpretation to sort of draw back the very clear implications for what this means for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are called upon to deny ourselves. It's also important to notice who is he talking to at this moment. In verse 34 it says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. This isn't just some sort of insider secret to the people who are, you know, really hardcore or really devoted to Jesus. He doesn't just tell a select group that, hey, you need to count the cost. You need to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. No, he wanted the whole crowd to know. And you may be here today and you're just part of the crowd. You know, your family believes in Jesus or you're here because one of your friends believes in Jesus and they brought you here and you you know you're not a follower of him. Listen, Jesus wants to make it clear and I want to make it clear right from the get-go that following Jesus is hard. Listen, it's not complicated, but it's hard. 
The reason why it is hard is because it actually is so simple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Now, if the contemporary evangelical church were to sort of do a fill-in-the-blank Bible, and if Jesus were to say, if anyone would come after me, the fill-in-the-blank would be, pray this prayer quick before you don't change your mind. Repeat after me, and let's just, let's just get it done so that you can just, the easy believism, as John MacArthur says, let, let's, just, let's just seal the deal right now. But that's not how Jesus wants it, and that's not how our church wants it. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're considering it, you need to understand it involves denying yourself. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, we all need to be reminded of this truth that Jesus has called us to so this isn't your average altar call that Jesus is giving, but this is a call to come and die. At the bottom of your handouts, I put a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his unparalleled book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so Jesus makes that very clear. He says to deny ourselves. In order to be a disciple, we need to deny ourselves. Now, have you ever noticed that you don't need to teach children how to be selfish? My little two-year-old Abel, I'll go into the pantry and I'll sort of sneak an Oreo cookie and I'll give it to him and I'll say, Abel, I got this cookie for you. And he twists it and icing first, right? And then I'm sort of sharing in the excitement and the joy of having a cookie. And then I say, Abel, do you want to share with me? And he just says, no. And right back to his cookie. I didn't have to teach him that. He knows that. And yet, when you go through the hallways of our schools and the lecture theaters of our universities and the counseling rooms of our psychologists, you would think that the reason, the, the reason this world is so messed up is we're not selfish enough. That the reason why we have all of these disorders, the reason why we have all of this dysfunction in our relationship is because we don't love ourselves enough. And we're told time and time again to love yourself, be yourself, help yourself, believe in yourself, find yourself, be true to yourself. We're, we live in a culture that is obsessed with self and in walks Jesus Christ and says, deny yourself. Deny yourself is what he has called us to do. You see, the assumption that our society makes is that the self is good. It would only make sense to be true to yourself if the self was good, and I know people are well-meaning, they're saying, don't let society or anyone else or some pressure from outside try to tell you who you are. You need to be true to yourself. But here's the thing. The self is not always good. If I get cut off on Queen Street and I want to be true to myself, I'm going to wait till the next red light and rear-end the guy. That's what myself, I'm being true to myself. You gotta listen to your desires and fulfill your dreams. Yeah, I got a dream about rear-ending that guy. I've got a real burning desire. Listen, it's not always a bad thing to listen to what society tells you. We have traffic laws for a reason, to stop us from being true to ourselves. So not only is, the, not only is this complicated because the self isn't always good, also the self isn't always clear. I might want to be true to myself and I might have this desire or this dream to achieve great things and that's coming from myself but also coming from myself is this massive fear of failure. And what am I supposed to be true to? 
The aspirations and the dreams or the crippling fears? How can I be true to myself when myself doesn't even make sense? You see, when Jesus says, deny yourself, listen, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He, know, he loves us. He knows how to help us. He knows what is best for us. And what is best for us is to deny ourselves. And what Jesus is saying here, it's not just the parts of ourselves that are not good. It's not just the parts of ourselves that are kind of unclear. Jesus wants it all. Even the parts of us that we think are good, even the parts of us that people like about us, even the parts that we feel affirmed in, Jesus, he's not saying, well, all we need to do is just renovate a little bit and put some paint on the walls and maybe put, put some carpet down and a pot of flowers in the house. No, he says, we're bringing the whole thing down. It's time for a wrecking crew to blow through this place. We're taking it right down to the foundation. Deny yourself. And so obviously that process of taking those desires or those dreams or those fears that make up the self and not giving into them at every moment, which is what we so naturally do, that's a very painful process. That's why Jesus says we are to take up our cross. We are to take up our cross. And it says, and follow me. You see, Jesus doesn't say, hey, everyone who wants to become a disciple, you just go over there and suffer, okay? You go and have a, a hard and difficult life. I'll be over here waiting for you. No, he says, take up your cross and follow me. And where was Jesus going? He was on the path to Calvary. He was on his way to suffer. And so when we're suffering, we are following him. And Christians, according to the sovereignty and beautiful, loving plan for God, each of us will experience suffering in some sort of way. It may be suffering in our relationships because we treasure Jesus Christ. It may be a health crisis. It may be a financial problem that was outside of our control. It may be persecution at work. It, it may come in any sort of form, but all of us will suffer, the Bible tells us. But as we're suffering, we are following Jesus. And what Jesus tells us to do is to deny ourselves. And listen, when we suffer, that's when the self really bubbles to the top. That's when we really want to bring justice for us or stand up for ourselves or take matters into our own hand. But Jesus says, no, come and follow me. Come and follow me. I'm going to help you through this. Galatians 2.20, talking about the self, says, I have been crucified with Christ. Take up your cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You will never know who you truly are until you know Jesus. People running all around trying to find themselves. You will only find yourself when you start to follow Jesus. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We, we experience suffering. Why? Because we know that there is a God who loved us and experienced immeasurable suffering on our behalf. Also look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Take up your cross and follow me. So is this what 
Is this what the Christian life is about? Is this what Jesus is looking for in his disciples? I want your life to be as hard and as miserable as possible. Absolutely not. He said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, John 10, 10 says. And as we're following Jesus in the midst of suffering, whatever God may bring our way, as we're denying ourselves and the ways we want to get out of the suffering we're experiencing, but remaining under it, we are commanded to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 12 says, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered, but his suffering came to an end. After Good Friday came Resurrection Sunday. And we as Christians are called to suffer. We have our own cross that we need to take up and follow him. But our suffering is also temporary. We may be in the middle of our Good Friday, but our Sunday is coming. And Jesus Christ right now, he is on the throne. He is at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's there, and that's where we're going. And when we're there, we will look to Jesus and we will say, worthy And we will look to the cross that we carried and we will say, worth it. Because of the joy that is set before us. And that's what Jesus has called us to. And then Jesus lovingly goes on to explain why he calls his disciples to do these hard things. Why self-denial? Why self-sacrifice on the cross? Why complete submission in following him? If you look at the the grammar of the next three verses, verse 36 and 37 and 38, sorry, also verse 35, you're going to see at the beginning of each of those verses just a small little word, two consonants, one vowel, F-O-R, and it's it's the same in Greek, three, three letters. The Greek word is gar. It's a conjunction of explanation. It, It could also be translated because. So Jesus lays out this very hard thing. Here's three things you need to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And then he's going to give three reasons about why it's so crucial for us to do this. So you can see it there in your Bible. Verse 35, it says, for whoever. Then verse 36, for what? And verse 37, for what? And verse 38, for whoever. Because, 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 because. Jesus could have just said, because I said so. But Jesus lovingly teaches us, shows us why it's so crucial for us to deny ourselves. And here's the reality, and this is getting into the second point of our message, that Jesus tells us to deny ourselves because he doesn't want us to destroy ourselves. And what he's going to do in these next verses is explain the self-destructive tendencies of all human beings. We are ticking time bombs. We are on self-destruct mode. And unless we hear Jesus cry to deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him, we will self-destruct. Now he begins his explanation with a paradox. Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the Gospels will save it. 
sorry, for my sake and the sake and the sake of the gospels will save it. If you lose your life, you save it. If you save your life, you lose it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense if all we're thinking about is this life. And if all that we're thinking about is this death that awaits all of us. But we talked about last week how getting close to Jesus and hearing him speak means that he's going to challenge the way that you think. He challenged the way that Peter thought about fishing and when to fish and where to fish. Because Jesus knew better. He knew something deeper. And in the same way, Jesus challenges the way that we think about this life. And what he's saying in this, in this paradox here is that this life is not the only life. And what he's also saying is that this death is not the only death. There's a life after this life, and there is a death after this death. That's the only way what he's saying in verse 35 can make any sense. And that would, that's what he's going to explain throughout the rest of this paragraph. There is something worth living for in the future that's worth dying for in the present. That's what he's communicating here. Save your life, lose it. Lose your life, save it for something greater, something more significant. And he's talking to this crowd, and there with him are his 12 apostles, most of which died. Died this death in order to not die a second death. Didn't try to save their life because they knew ultimately their lives in the next life had been saved. And all throughout history, Christians have counted the cost, taken up their cross, not in some metaphorical sense, but in a very real sense. For the church in North America, saving your life or losing your life, that's basically a metaphor. For the church in the Middle East or in, or in parts of Asia or in parts of North Africa, it's not a metaphor, it's Monday morning. It's a reality. And I've been carrying around this weight all week that I need to look people who I love in the eye, people that I, I want to care for and I want to protect, and I need to lovingly explain to them that you might die for your faith. I don't know if you're going to stay in Brampton all of your life. I don't know if God's going to call you somewhere else where there's more hostility to the gospel. I don't know if Brampton's going to stay like Brampton for all of our lives. And if the freedom and the rights and the protections that we enjoy would suddenly be taken away. But all of us need to be ready to give our life. And listen, if we lose our life, we will save it. But if we save our life, we will lose it. Then Jesus zeroes in on two particularly self-destructive tendencies inside every human heart. He says, hey, there's this other life. There's this other death. And that's what you need to be thinking about while you're living this life and while you might be faced with death here on earth. But then look at what he says in verse 36, for what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
There's two self-destructive tendencies that Jesus addresses here. Here's the first one, worldly possessions. Worldly possessions. If we don't deny ourselves, we will try to define ourselves based on something else. No one is ever true to themselves. Because we look in ourselves and we don't like what we see. It's not always good and it's not always clear. And so we start to look for somewhat something else. And many of us try to define ourselves based on our transportation, based on our clothing, based on our bank accounts, based on the material things that we have. And Jesus says, what does it profit to gain the whole world if you end up forfeiting your soul. That's self-destruction. If you end up forfeiting your soul, your life that will go on into the next life. And so Jesus here is telling us about this life. All that will matter is our soul. Verse 37 says, what can a man give in return for his soul? There's no returns, there's no exchanges, there's no store credit. It doesn't matter if you have a receipt. At the end of the day, at the end of this life and entering into the next life, all that you can take with you is your soul. And if you haven't taken care of the spiritual condition of your life and of your soul, you will be found wanting in that day. And so Jesus says, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world? Now, a lot of us, we're not trying to gain the whole world, right? Bigger house, better car, more of a raise, more stability, a nicer vacation, all that, that's what, but Jesus lays it out there. The whole world, the gross domestic product of every nation, the, not just a mansion for yourself, but every mansion, all the bank accounts of all the wealthiest people in the world, all of the natural resources, all of the precious metals, all of the assets, everything. If you had it all, what would the profit be if you forfeited your soul? Because Jesus says at the end of the day, in this next life that I'm talking about, all you can take with you is your soul. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. On July 13th, Lindsay and I welcomed our fourth boy. Yes, four boys. Pray for her. His name is Boaz. And um, it was a joy when he came. But listen, he didn't come with a Samsung Galaxy in his hand and keys to a Land Rover. It was just him. And when we leave this earth, let's, we bring nothing in. We can take nothing with us. All, all we will be able to take with us is our soul. And you can't exchange anything for it. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Think about the value of your soul. The whole world is not worth as much as your soul. You can't exchange the whole, not just something in the world, the whole world for your soul. That's the value that God puts on your soul. And here's the amazing thing. It says you can't make an exchange for your soul. You can't make an exchange for your soul, but someone else did make an exchange for your soul. 
When Jesus took up his cross, when Jesus suffered and died at Calvary, when he took the blame for our sin, he exchanged his precious blood for your soul. Your soul has been purchased by the precious, immeasurable blood of Jesus Christ. That's how valuable your soul is. That is how much God loves you. That that exchange has been made on your, you can't make that exchange. But Jesus has made it for you. Oh, that today would be the day where you recognize that exchange, where you recognize how much God loved you and stop sitting on the fence and commit to follow him. And yes, it will be hard. You do have to deny yourself and take up your cross, but yes, it will be worth it. Would today be the day that you choose to follow Jesus Christ? And to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the main thing that will draw our hearts away from him, and this affects the wealthy person and the person struggling financially, the main thing that would draw away our hearts would be worldly possessions. Jesus talks about it all the time, and he summed it up when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's why we as elders are so committed to offer the financial stewardship course that's starting next week because we want to make sure that every single person who calls Harvest their home has had an opportunity to hear what does the Bible say about money and and how am I supposed to handle it and what does that look like? And if you haven't taken that course, listen, whether you're feeling financially um, stable or whether you're really struggling to make ends meet, this course is for everyone to get a sense of what it means to steward what God has given us and to make sure that we aren't going around trying to gain the whole world and meanwhile forfeiting our soul. Now, I said there were two self-destructive tendencies. The first was a focus on worldly possessions. The second is a focus on the approval of man, focusing on the approval of other people. Look at verse 38. The last four, the last because, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus began with a paradox to explain to us that there's a life beyond this life. Then he teaches us that you can only take your soul with you. You can't take anything else. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I'm the one who's in charge of that next life. I'm the one who's going to decide who gets life and who gets death after this life and this death. Jesus says, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the one who's coming with the glory of my Father and with the holy angels. And Jesus lovingly, he wants us all to be ready for that day. And so he deals with this other self-destructive tendency of the approval of man. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words. Why would we ever be ashamed of Jesus? Is there there anything shameful about him? About his sinless perfection, about his glory, about his beauty, about his holiness, about his love? There's nothing shameful about him at all. But what would cause us to be ashamed? It would be longing for the approval of other people. You see, what's happening behind the scenes of every single human conversation is very different between what's actually happening or what we think is happening. 
Normally we meet someone, we shake their hand, we say stuff like, hi, how are you? The weather's really good. And uh, what's your name? Where are you from? That's, that's sort of the normal small talk that's happening. But what's really taking place behind the scenes in that conversation is, please accept me. Please tell me I'm okay. Please love me. That's what's, that's what's going on in every conversation because as we look to ourselves, again, we don't like what we see. It's not good, it's not clear. And if we can't find an answer based on what we can get our hands on for worldly possessions, we will define who we are based on what other people think of us. And Jesus says that we will all face a temptation to be ashamed of Jesus and of his words. And I don't think we've ever been closer in Canada to having the same hostility towards Jesus' words. I don't think we've ever been closer to first century Palestine when Jesus was teaching this. I don't think we as a culture have ever been closer to feeling that, that tension of wanting that approval of someone else but not compromising on who Jesus is and what his word says. And yet Jesus says that we are not to be ashamed of him because one day it won't matter what other people think about us. One day all that will matter is what he thinks about us. That will be the only thing that will matter. And he will say one of two things to us. He will either say, depart from you, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Or he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus came once. It says here that he's going to come again. He's going to come in the glory of his father. The first time, you know, being born and laid in a manger and only a couple of shepherds managed to notice. That's not going to be the case. He's coming with the glory of his father and with angels. And everyone will see it and everyone will know it. But in the meantime, we find ourselves in this life and we find ourselves finding increasing pressure to compromise on who Jesus is and what his word says. And Jesus lovingly says, I know there's that part of you, that self that, that is, wants that approval. And Jesus lovingly says, you gotta deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You might feel like you're walking alone at school. You may feel like you're walking alone at work. You might feel like you walk alone every day in your own house with your own family. Jesus says, you never walk alone. You're following me. I am leading you, loving you right through this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It's said of Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by men. If that's how he was treated, how should we expect to be treated as his followers? But Jesus is at the right hand of God now. And we are going there. And we will say, worthy and worth it. Whatever we endure, whatever grip on worldly possessions that we have to let go of, whatever relationship needs to be sacrificed in order to stay true to who Jesus is, it will be worth it. 
So as you can see, these, these verses aren't troubling because they're hard to understand, paradox and all. These verses are troubling because they're so easy to understand and because it's so clear what's expected of us. To let go of that desire to have everyone love us and to seek acceptance and approval based on what other people say. To let go of, the, of those worldly possessions and to take up our cross and to follow him. And Jesus gives all of these explanations. You see, the cost of discipleship is very high. But Jesus tells us about forfeiting our soul and him being ashamed of us when he returns to show us that, yes, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is higher. And Jesus wants his children, and I want everyone in this church to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that every single mouth here would declare at the end to say it was worth it, and not to come to the very end and say, I wasted And so let's pray together and let's search our own hearts. Let's ask for God's help right now to speak to us and to lead us. So Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to speak straight to us. And we become so accustomed to the lies of this world and marching to the, to the rhythm, to the, to the cadence of the, the patterns and the habits and just the cultural things that we just accept. And sometimes these words, they, they, they shock us when we hear what you're really saying to us about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following you, God. They, they shock us. But God, I pray that as we hear you say these things, we would, we would sense your love for us, your tender care for us, your desire to protect us, your desire for us to be filled with joy in this life and in the next, and to live that abundant life, God. We don't want to live halfway. We want to live all in for you, because you're worth it, Jesus. You are so good, you are so loving, you are so perfect, you are so worthy of our praise, you are so worth whatever it costs to follow you. So God, we love you and we pray. We pray that you would help us to live like how you called us to live because you're worth it. In your name we pray, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.